0: Okay, we're going to start with Scripture. We're going to turn, well, you don't have to turn there, just listen along. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul commends a man named Epaphroditus and says that he's going going to send him to uh, the Philippians again. He says this, Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, So that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Paphroditus was a guy uh, like the Apostle Paul, like others uh, during that time, Timothy himself, who came close to death, right, doing the work of Christ. And the man that we're going to look at this morning, his name is... (laughs) What'd you do? You spilled your coffee on the soundboard, didn't you? I knew it was going to happen. I told you. Um, The man we're going to study today is William Farrell, or Guillaume Farrell. I'll just stick to the Americanized William Farrell. And uh, I've got a ton of material here, so I'm going to crank through a bunch of it, and uh, maybe we'll have time for questions at the end, maybe we won't. Now, William Farrell was, um, if you go to Geneva, there's a... um, There's a park filled with idols to the reformers, which I find is ironic. (laughs) And the four main statues in that park are who? Who knows who the four are? Huh? No, he's, he's a chump compared to these guys. Calvin, John Knox, Luther... No, 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 no. This guy. <laughs> Farrell, Calvin, Knox, and not Luther, Beza. This is Geneva, remember. Luther, Germany. So Farrell, Knox, Beza. Beza was Calvin's successor in Geneva. And so this is the importance of William Farrell, and he may, of those four men, um, you probably know the least about William Farrell. He lived from 1489 to 1565. He was five years younger than Luther and zwingli and 20 years older than Calvin and outlived Calvin by a year. Um, he was born in Gop, southeastern France. He went to the University of Paris, so he went to the, the main uh, institution of the time. To study to become a priest, he studied with Jacques Lefebvre de Taple, very famous uh, French humanist that if you were French and wanted to get anywhere, you studied with him. And he said to Farrell in 1512, as he was a student, he said, My son, God will renew the world and you will witness it. Um, Jacques Lefebvre translated the scriptures into French. He published in 1523 almost, he published those French translations almost simultaneously with Luther's German translations about 1523. And so that's that's this guy he studied with. And then uh, Farrell went and taught grammar and philosophy at Collège Cardinal Lemoine in Paris. And, uh, and so he, he didn't pursue the priesthood, right? He went into an academic field and was teaching uh, grammar and philosophy. 1521, he went to uh, a city called Mo, M-E-A-U-X, to work on reforming measures in the Roman Catholic Church. He saw, uh, he saw no teaching in scripture that supported the Pope, indulgences, purgatory, the mass, the seven sacraments, celibacy, and the worship of Mary and the saints. So we give him a round of applause, right? <laughs> yes. Um, because of persecution, he had to leave that area in 1523, and he was welcomed to the city of Basel by Echolampadius, who is who was another very well-known reformer of the time. Echol became actually very close with Farrell and a lifelong um, man who kept him accountable. Um, in one of the biographies I was reading by Kirschhofer, uh, it said this, Farrell's zeal sometimes betrayed him into an intemperance of language, which his best friends acknowledged and lamented. Echelampadius, in particular, sought to correct this infirmity by admonishing him in the hours of social intercourse, and since his own temper was also hasty and hot, entered into a mutual engagement with him to cultivate meekness and humility, while at the same time he recognized in Pharaoh's ardent zeal an invaluable virtue, which was on many occasions of as much importance as meekness." Right, and so that's good balance sort of take on that. You need Luther's and you need Vaets and Calvins, right? You need different character men in the work of ministry, whereas today we sort of when we put our when we put our men through our seminaries, we try to compact them down to little men, as little men as they could possibly be who who whose goal is never to offend anybody, and that means never speaking the truth, right? And so there's a time when you need a Luther to stand up and be obnoxious, is, and that's exactly what he was with Erasmus. We're going to see that Pharaoh Fer- was obnoxious with Erasmus too, um, maybe even more so. So anyway, I found that interesting. 1524, February 1524 in Basel, he publishes, uh, Farrell publishes 13 theses which criticize Roman doctrine, especially against images and worship. Um, Topics were, uh, well, here are a few of them. We have them. One, Christ has given us a perfect rule of life which we are not at liberty to alter either by adding to it or taking from it. Two, we must faithfully obey the commands of God, for it will lead to ungodliness if we adhere to any party or faction or govern ourselves by any other precepts than those of Christ, who has ordained that those who cannot contain themselves should marry. Three, the distinction of meats and drinks, as well as a variety of ceremonies, is Jewish and not agreeable to the light of the gospel. Four, long wordy prayers which are not in accordance with the precepts of the Lord and the model which he has given cannot be safely prescribed or used. It is better to give to the poor the money which is paid for prayers on behalf of the dead and not to accumulate it as, to in, as, as an incitement to much evil. Um, he's vamping off a of Luther, we know that. Uh, let's see, what's another one? He that treats the gospel as doubtful does all in his power to suppress it. And he, does not, he that does not in sincerity instruct his brother and does not fear God rather than man is ashamed of the Lord. We ought to pray most earnestly for what the Holy Spirit imparts to us. Christians must present their offerings to God alone. And then finally, number 13, Jesus Christ must be our polar star by whose power all things are governed and not by the constellations or the elements. We trust that this will be the case in the future, when everything will be conformed to the evangelical model, when all strife so abhorrent to every Christian will be done away with, so that the peace of God which passes all understanding may dwell in our hearts. So those are his 13 theses. Those are posted in Basel. Guess who lives in Basel? Erasmus lives in Basel. And Erasmus is, he's, he's a weird figure. No one likes Erasmus because Erasmus is neither here nor there. He's not with the Roman Catholics, though he's a priest and he's trying to reform the Catholic Church, but he's not with the reformers who want to reform the Catholic Church, like actually reform it. And so Luther's sort of this middle-of-the-road sort of guy. and um, And so they... They went. Where's where? where was it? Ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. I've got too much stuff here. Um. They went. Uh, so Erasmus, just like he did with Luther, Erasmus gets bent out of shape about Ferral's rhetoric. Right, and his intemperate language and, you know, and doesn't want to debate the truth with him. And so he, uh, he, he gets, gets um, Farrell booted out of town. He goes to the council and says, get rid of this, this guy. He's going to be no help to any of us. And so they boot him out of town. He goes to Strasbourg and where, remember, Martin Bucer lives and Capito, another reformer, They receive him in 1526. Then he's back in Switzerland, 1528. uh, We're getting close to the 1530s when he ends up in Geneva, and that's what I'm working up toward 1528. The city of Bern is hugely important and has influence over the whole area around, uh, you know, the the French part of Switzerland and and into France, up into Germany. And um, There's the Synod of Bern in 1528, and it gives a decided victory to the Reformation. Farrell is commissioned to preach in all the districts under Bern's control. So he becomes, and this really was his life's work, of he's an itinerant minister. He goes around from city to city preaching, and he's a church planner, pastor, missionary. He's bringing the Reformation into these cities, and he's sort of the first in. He's the Apostle Paul, um, in a sense. And so, Pharaoh is commissioned to preach in all these districts. He travels from Marat to Lausanne to Neuchâtel to a bunch of cities I can't pronounce to these other cities I can't pronounce to these mountains and this, that, and this. He's going all over the place. And uh, Philip Schaff, the historian, says of this time, he turned every stump and stone into a pulpit every house, street, and marketplace into a church, proved the wrath of monks, priests, and bigoted women, was abused, called, called heretic, and devil, insulted, spit upon, and more than once threatened with death. Um, <clears throat> any attempt uh, to, it's uh, w- w- not the right word, um, wherever he went, he stirred up all the forces of the people and made them take sides for or against the new gospel. Right? Wherever he went, he was, he, was this, um, he was calling people. It's either this or that. Make your choice. <clears throat> December 1529, he arrives in Neuchâtel, Switzerland. That is north and east. If Geneva's here, it's north. Well, to you guys, it would be north and east and of Geneva, about 60 miles. And uh, he introduces the Reformation in that city and the surrounding districts. In one city, <coughs> the, in uh, Vallangen, the following incident occurred. Encouraged by the favorable disposition of the people and relying on the protection of Bern, Farrell attempted to make known the word of God in this place and came there with his faithful companion, Anthony Boyne. While he was preaching, a priest came and performed mass. His companion noticed that the people were more attentive to the mass than to the sermon. Irritated at the sight, when the priest was in the very beginning of elevating the host, he tore it out of his hands. Pharaoh tore it out of his, the priest's hands. Exhibiting it to the assembly, he exclaimed, This is not the God whom you ought to worship. He is exalted in the heavens in the glory of the Father and not in the hands of the priests, as you imagine and as they pretend. Enraged at this act, the priests and the adherents caused the alarm bell to be rung. Farrell and Boyne were fortunate enough to escape in the crowd, but as they were returning home in the evening, they were assailed with sticks and stones in a narrow pass near the castle by a mob led on by the priests. They were dragged half dead to the residence of the countess who seemed by no means to disapprove of the outrage. The priests led Pharaoh into the chapel and endeavored to compel him to fall down before an image of the virgin. But he steadfastly refused, exclaiming, You ought to worship the only true God in spirit and in truth, and not a dumb idol. So you see Pharaoh's disposition, right? A guy who's going to jump up in the middle of a, you know, middle of a mass and, and, uh, and do what needs to be done. In 1532, he took a trip to visit the Valdenses. And the Valdenses are an early sect and early, early forerunners to the Re- Reformation, really, They rejected some of the Roman Catholic tenets and um, advocated for simple living. And so he goes in 1532 to visit the Valdenses, consults with them, actually helps them out, tells them you need schools and you you should start schools and train your children. June 30th, 1532, back in Geneva, the Council of 200 in Geneva took just preliminary steps toward declaring for the Reformation. And so he's, so Farrell's down the road, he visits the Valdenses, he comes, he's uh, returning and he goes through and visits Geneva. It's October of 1532. He preaches from where he's lodging and attracts massive crowds. He's just preaching from the room he's staying in. Uh, The Roman Catholic bishop summoned Farrell and told him to leave the city within three hours. He escaped with difficulty to Orby, halfway between Geneva and Neuchâtel. Um, here's Shaft's account of this incident. The day after their arrival, the evangelists were visited by a number of distinguished citizens of the Huguenot party, among the whom was Amy Perrin, one of the most ardent promoters of the Reformation, and afterwards one of the chief opponents of Calvin, They explained to them from the open Bible the Protestant doctrines which would uh, complete and consolidate the political freedom recently achieved. They stirred up a great commotion. The council was alarmed and ordered them to leave the city. Farrell declared that he was no trumpet of sedition, but a preacher of the truth for which he was ready to die. He showed credentials from Bern, which made an impression. He also summoned to the Episcopal Council in the house of the Abbe de Beaumont, The vicar general of the diocese, he was treated with insolence. Come thou, filthy devil, said one of the canons. Art thou baptized? Who invited you hither? Who gave you authority to preach? Remember, Pharaoh's not a priest. Pharaoh never went through what these other men went through. He was never ordained. He's an unordained, itinerant preacher. Okay? Okay. And um, he didn't follow the path of, of Luther and Calvin, these men who went through the priesthood first. And so, um, and so they like to rub that in. Pharaoh replied with dignity, I have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and am not a devil. I go about preaching Christ who died for our sins and rose for our justification. Whoever believes in him will be saved. Unbelievers will be lost. I am sent by God as a messenger of Christ and am bound to preach him to all who will hear me. I am ready to dispute with you and to give an account of my faith and ministry. Elijah said to King Ahab, it is thou and not I who disturbs Israel. So I say, it is you and yours who trouble the world by your traditions, your human inventions, and your dissolute lives. The priest had no intention to enter into a discussion. They knew and confessed. If we argue, our trade is gone. One of the canons exclaimed, "'He has blasphemed. "'We need no further evidence. "'He deserves to die.' "'And Pharaoh replied, "'Speak the words of God and not of Caiaphas.' (laughs) "'Hereupon the whole assembly shouted, "'Away with him to the Rhone! "'Kill the Lutheran dog!' "'He was reviled, he was beaten and shot at. "'One of the syndics interposed for his protection. "'He was ordered by the Episcopal Council "'to leave Geneva within three hours.' He escaped uh, with difficulty the fury of the priest who pursued him with clubs. He was covered with spittle and bruises. Some Huguenots came to his defense and accompanied him in Sonier in a boat across the lake to a place between Morges and Lausanne. So this is, I mean, this happens. You read this biography I was reading of him. This is his life. This is what he's going to. He's he's dodging death every place he goes. Uh, They didn't mess around back then. Um, The city of Bern intercedes, and liberty of worship is then granted to Geneva on March 28, 1533. Pharaoh returns in 1533 and begins the work of reformation in Geneva. New Year's Day 1534, the bishop of Geneva proclaimed himself, the bishop, right? The Roman Catholic bishop proclaims himself to be the only preacher and decreed that Protestant Bibles should be burned. Public disputations began and Pharaoh took the leading part in disputing with the Roman Catholics there. In March 1535, a servant girl is, um, is hired by some Catholic priests to remove the Protestant ministers by mixing poison with their food. Pharaoh from illness or some other cause happened not to uh, dine that day. Fremont, another pastor, dined elsewhere so that only Veret, Vare, who is one of the main main pastors in Geneva. We could do a biography of him. Only Vare, um partook of the soup. He felt the effects of the poison immediately, though his life was saved. His health never really recovered from that incident. Um, the priests, even after that point, tried to poison the Lord's Supper in Geneva. And all of that combines these attempted poisoning of these, these pastors and, and the Lord's Supper. It, they basically confirmed the Reformation for Geneva because they were, they were so upset with these Catholic priests, the people were. So we're at 1535, right? And um, August 27, 1535, the masses suppressed, images and relics removed from the churches, shops were closed. On the Sabbath, daily um, sermons were instituted and the Reformed religion was established in, in Geneva. 1536. What happens in 1536? Calvin publishes the first edition of the Institutes. And famously, on his way from Basel to Strasbourg to live the life of a scholar, Wimpy wimpy scholar. That's, I'm just quoting Farrell. Um, Calvin is detoured, and you know why he's detoured? Because Charles V's troops are blocking the direct route that he would have taken to get to Strasbourg. And so the, you know, the, the emperor's troops are blocking his way, and that's why he had to detour through to Geneva. And he's detained so William Farrell hears, okay, John Calvin, Institute's guy, he's, he could be helpful to me, hears that he's in town, goes and finds him immediately, right, and detains him. Uh, Calvin intended to stay one night in Geneva. And here's, here's what, uh, Calvin, Calvin didn't write about himself very much, he wrote letters, and, and we can reconstruct a lot of the parts of his life by the letters that he wrote and received, but in his commentaries and in his works, um, in his sermons, he very seldom ever speaks autobiographically, but he does in the introduction to his commentary on the Psalms. He talks about some of the, just reflecting on the Psalms and the life of David, how he's, he's can can sympathize with David because of the life he's led and he describes this incident where he's detained in that introduction to the psalms he says William Farrell detained me at Geneva not so much by counsel and exhortation as by a dreadful imprecation which I felt to be as if God had from heaven laid his hand upon me to arrest me And after learning that my heart was set upon devoting myself to private studies for which I wished to keep myself free from other pursuits and finding that he gained nothing by entreaties, he proceeded to utter an imprecation that God would curse my retirement and the tranquility of the studies which I sought if I should withdraw and refuse to give assistance when the necessity was so great. By this imprecation, I was so stricken with terror that I desisted from the journey which I had undertaken. Here's what Pharaoh said to him. Pharaoh said, You have no other ground for refusing my request than your love for study. But I tell you in the name of Almighty God that if you do not join me in the work of ministry, God will punish you for preferring your own pleasure to the Lord's service. I mean, this is, this, is, this is what Luther would do. This is what Pharaoh did. And Pharaoh and knew, Pharaoh was being humble in this because he knew he did not have the gifts to reform Geneva. He's an itinerant dude. He's a first line. He's a go in first and dispute sort of guy. He's, you know, tear the host out of the hands of the priest sort of guy. Calvin's not that guy, Calvin does some things like that, but it's against his nature. And Calvin was going to be uh, able to argue and write and reason and um, interact with the governing authorities of Geneva in a way that Farrell would never do that. And so in, in accosting him, he's basically saying, you stay here. And in fact, Farrell does not stay much longer in Geneva. It's really, he just gives this work over to, to um, Calvin. So Calvin and Farrell are banished from Geneva in 1538. I mean, I, I was reading earlier today, um, Geneva was, was messy. This whole period, you have, I mean, you have those poisonings, you have people going after one another. Um, th- there was uh, intense fighting in politics, physical fighting over between the Catholics and the, the reformers. And, there was, and then there's a whole group of people who could care less, who just want to do their trade and have a peaceful, protected city to live in. And all of these are factionalizing, and it, it's a, it's a real, real, really bad place to be. Well, they get, Um, So 1536, Calvin and Farrell are working together. By 1538, just two and a half years later, they're banished from Geneva. Now we're not going to put your reforms in place. This is too much. People can't take it. Get out of here. They did return, uh, but Farrell only briefly. Uh, From 1541 to 42, he comes back. But but that's just the first year of that time period where Calvin then spends the rest of his life up to 1564, re, you know, renewing and reforming uh, Geneva. Schaff says this on um, their labors, uh, f- the remainder of of um, sorry. Schaff says this on the remainder of Ferrel's life and labors. So he goes from Geneva, he goes up to Neuchâtel. From Neuchâtel, Pharaoh followed his missionary impulse, made preaching excursions to Geneva, Strasbourg, Metz, Lorraine, at Metz he preached in the cemetery of the Dominicans while the monks sounded all the bells to drown his voice. He accompanied Calvin to Zurich to be, bring about the consensus Tigerinus with the Zwinglians in 1549. He followed Servetus to the stake, October 1553 and exhorted him in vain to renounce his heirs. He collected money for the refugees of Lucerne and sent letters of comfort to his persecuted brethren in France. He made two visits to Germany in 1557 to, to urge upon the German princes an active intercession in behalf of the Valdenses and French Protestants, but without effect. In 1559, he visited the French refugees in Alsace and Lorraine, in f- November 1561, he accepted an invitation to Gop, his fir- birthplace, and ventured to preach in public, notwithstanding the royal prohibition to the large number of, number of his fellow citizens who had become Protestants. So again, he just, he's all over the place. He's going from here to there doing what he can. Um, Let's see. What time is it? Oh, we're doing well. Philip Schaff's. Um, if you haven't read any Philip Schaff, he he was a nineteenth-century historian, and just his he wrote a history of the church, which is just I don't know how many volumes of it. It's huge, but it's very helpful. And uh, he he was part of the German Protestant Reformed Church or something like that, and so. He writes this summary of Farrell and uh, I'm gonna read it. I think it's helpful um, and it may provoke some thoughts and questions. He says, the pioneer of Protestantism in Western Switzerland is William Farrell. He was a traveling evangelist, always in motion, incessant in labors, a man full of faith and fire, as bold and fearless as Luther and far more radical, but without his genius. He is called the Elijah of the French Reformation and the scourge of the priests. Once an ardent papist, and in his young life, he was like the most superstitious sort of papist would, uh, would fight on their side as intensely as he did once he became, um, had a knowledge of the truth. Once an ardent papist, he became an ardent, as ardent a Protestant and looked hereafter only at the dark side, the prevailing corruptions and abuses of Romanism. He hated the Pope as the veritable Antichrist. The Mass as idolatry, pictures and relics as heathen idols which must be destroyed like the idols of the Canaanites. Without a regular ordination, he felt himself divinely called like a prophet of old to break down idolatry and clear the way for the spiritual worship of God according to his own revealed word. He was a born fighter. He came not to bring peace, but the sword. He had to deal with priests who carried firearms and clubs under their frocks, and he fought them with the sword of the word and the spirit. Once he was fired at, but the gun burst, and turning round, he said, I'm not afraid of your shots. He never used violence himself except in language. He had an indomitable will and power of endurance, Persecution and violence only stimulated him to greater exertions. His outward appearance was not prepossessing. He was small and feeble feeble, with a pale but sunburnt face, narrow forehead, red and ill-combed beard, fiery eyes, and an expressive mouth. Farrell had some of the best qualities of an orator. A sonorous and stentorian voice, Appropriate gesture, fluency of speech, and intense earnestness, which always commands attention and often produces conviction. His contemporaries speak of the thunders of his eloquence and of his transporting prayers. Uh, Tua illa fulgura, who knows Latin. It means your lightning flashes, writes Calvin. And nemo tonuit fort, fortius. No one thunders louder, says Beza. The sermons were extemporized and have not come down to us. Their power lay in the oral delivery. We may compare him to Whitfield, who was likewise a traveling evangelist, endowed with the magnetism of living oratory. In Bayes's opinion, Calvin... This is an interesting statement. In Bayes's opinion, Calvin was the most learned, Farrell was the most, most forcible, and Verrey the most gentle preacher of that age. So Calvin learned, Farrell forcible, and Verrey gentle. The chief defect of Pharaoh was his want of moderation and discretion. He was an iconoclast. His violence provoked unnecessary opposition and often did more harm than good. Echolampadius praised his zeal, but besought him to be also moderate and gentle. Your mission, he wrote to him, is to evangelize, not to curse. Prove yourself to be an evangelist, not a tyrannical legislator. And then he's this statement, men want to be led, not driven. Zwingli, shortly before his death, exhorted him not to expose himself rashly, but to reserve himself for the further service of the Lord. Pharaoh's work was destructive rather than constructive. He could pull down, but not build up. Calvin built up, right? Pharaoh pulled down. And, and I would say Luther's maybe one of the few examples of pulling down a, a man who could do both, right? He was a conqueror, but not an organizer of his conquests, a man of action, not a man of letters, an intrepid preacher, not a theologian. He felt his defects and handed his work over to the mighty genius of his younger friend, Calvin. In the spirit of genuine humility and self-denial, he was willing to decrease that Calvin might increase, this is the finest trait in his character. Again, that's from Philip Schaff, and um, there much much could be said about there. In 1558, so we're we're jumping forward quite a bit in his life. 1558, he's 69 years old, and he marries a woman named Mary Thorell, who was a teenager. She's like 17, 18, he's 69, 50 years of difference there. Um, Calvin was so angry with him. Calvin, Calvin was, uh, was stupefied by it. And he, why, why was he so angry? He was angry because he thought it would just counteract the progress that they had made in the Reformation. It'd just be a setback. It'd be something that he would constantly have to defend. It was a distraction from the work. And Calvin despised him for it. And um, it, there's a letter that, that's been published that Calvin writes to Farrell. Uh, apparently, Farrell sent Calvin several invitations, and uh, Calvin was ignoring them. And then Calvin sends this letter back to him and is just weaseling out of not going. He just, he just does not want to be there. And he's like, well, I've got this to do and I've got this to do and you wouldn't want me to neglect this and I've got this to do. It's hilarious. He's just weaseling out of going. He, he did not go. He would not go. Uh, six years after their marriage be- between um, William and Marie, they had a child. And uh, so, what does that make? That makes him 75 years old when, when he has a child. And uh, the child died three years after Farrell died. Here's Calvin's final... Now, Calvin and, and Farrell continue to correspond through their entire lives, m- almost monthly. I mean, they, they were very close. They um, supported one another deeply. And Calvin wrote this final letter to Pharaoh, May 1564. This is what uh, Calvin said to him. He said, Farewell, my most excellent and upright brother. And since it is the will of God that you should survive me in the world, live mindful of our intimacy, which as it was useful to the church of God, so the fruits of it await us in heaven. I am unwilling that you should fatigue yourself for my sake, Um, I draw my breath with difficulty and every moment I am in expectation of breathing my last. It is enough that I live and die for Christ who is to all his followers again both in life and death. Again, I bid you and your brethren farewell. Adieu. And so uh, that's, Calvin wrote that to him. Um, Farrell was able to visit Geneva and, and spend some time with Calvin before he died. And then in June 1564, Farrell would write this. He said, oh, why was I not taken away in his stead? And he preserved the church which he has so well served and in combats harder, harder than death. He has done more and with greater promptitude than anyone surpassing not only the others but himself. Oh how happily he has run a noble race. May the Lord grant that we run like him and according to the measure of grace that has been dealt out to us. So that's where Pharaoh those are his last words to his beloved Calvin. And um, Calvin would be put in the grounds, and then Farrell would die a year later, basically, after Calvin. And so those two great reformers would be taken out of the game by God's providence, and others would rise up uh, in their place. And that succession of God's blessings in the church at this time period would go on. So that's William Farrell. Um... You should you should honor him. You should remember him. You should uh, reflect on his gifting and how it differed from other men of the time. And um, the goal of the goal of training pastors is not to is in some sense to bring conformity conformity in in intellect and doctrine, but it is not um, and it is a honing of character. But it is. It is uh, not a um, sort of knocking, uh, uh, making a, automatons and and, knock and and perfect clones of one another in school. We need the gentle, we need the forceful, we need the thoughtful, we need the, the compassionate, right? We need the brainiacs, we need the scholars. We need all kinds, um, and God, it's just clear that Scripture teaches this, right? All the various gifts given to uh, the church. And that's the way that God, when He brings us together in a unified effort of the church, uses all those gifts to, um, uh, uses all those gifts so that His church is the most extraordinary thing in the world. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Any questions about Mr. Farrell? We have four minutes. I didn't think I'd get through it. Yeah. There, there is some, he may have gone to Wittenberg, Farrell did, but if he was there, he was only there for a, a week, and we don't have much, we don't even know if it happened, but if it did, he wasn't there very long. They may have interacted, though. Certainly at these conferences where they're trying to bring people together, I'm sure he was with Luther. What happened to the French Protestants were, were destroyed by a wicked Roman Catholic king. They just could not take ground. The Huguenots were, were persecuted. Yeah, so I mean, um, the French, uh, Calvin was training pastors in Geneva and sending them to their death in France. That's why they started a pastor's college, the Geneva Academy. And he was sending these men over to France Frenchmen came and studied and went back and died. Yeah, it was intense persecution. So the French, um, the French did not reform, nor did the Spanish. What was the name of the massacre? St. Bar- Bartholomew's Massacre, yeah. Yeah, that was during Calvin's lifetime in the, I guess, 50, 1540s, 50s. I'm not sure when it was, Yeah. You know, you're noticing, noting the differences of different um, personalities, and and comparing that to the current seminary models. I just um, people study all these guys. Why, why didn't they get that application from it? <laughs> um, What's the underlying driving thing? Well, <laughs> ego. I mean, you know how hard it is to allow somebody to be different than yourself. I mean, when your children become different, you, you kind of like, you're going off the reservation. What's wrong with you, child? This is not the way the Dion's do it, right? And so you just, you try to make them conform and they grow their hair in weird ways. And, you know, I got an earring when I was 18 to in- individuate away from my parents. I mean, you just do those things. And so I think, I think you get egotistical seminary professors who simply want students who reflect their own image. And that's a temptation for all of us. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm a nerd to that. I, I, I'm not. I mean, it, can, it, it happens all the time. But we should be mindful that, that God is going to use we, we shouldn't be dismissive categorically if somebody's gift's different entirely from somebody else's, right? And, and um, we might have an ideal in our minds of what the perfect church-planning missionary pastor should be. And yet, look, look, at the, look at the diversity of crazy examples that we have during that first that fertile part of the first part of the Reformation. I mean, you got Cal, I mean, Knox, Knox, too, is so different than Calvin. And and Zwingli is so different from Lutheran and and, uh, and has just different life experiences than either, any of these men. And so um, <clears throat> I think it's just a cautionary tale to us to not Try to um, uh, to allow some diversity, to allow some personality. Yeah. Poison, yeah. Poison. Poisonous soup. Yeah, I mean the the stakes were so high, the the whole world was in revolution. It was political. It was, I mean, everything is being turned over. And so, when when situations are so dire like that, you you just need troops. You need people who are going to you know, take the host and rip him out of the priest's hand, and you need Calvin back in the back room writing the second edition of his Institutes. I'd be interested to talk to, like Mr. Lico, and see of the men that he's sending out of throughout Africa and other places, which there's just is a lot more actual violence done against Christians. What kind of men... We've we've sort of professionalized the pastorate too and that, that leads to a type. <laughs> you know, a type. I think what I Yeah. Mm-hmm. of God Yeah. He has credentials. The thing, about, the thing about him is he did go to the best university he could possibly go to, and he was the head of a college, so he has credentials. He doesn't have ordination. Right. Right. And yeah, and, and yet that didn't bother any of the other reformers, given that he was itinerating and he was, he was being used by the Lord and going out into these... You know, first time, let's meet the Reformation in these cities guys i've I've got something to show you, and they're they're like, "Go to it, go do that work we'll we'll hang back <laughs> yeah his his zeal is is wonderful, yeah, yeah, praise God, all right, well, let's pray, Father, we thank you for your work in history. we thank you for the men that you've raised up in your church that have served um, clearly by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to raise up uh, pastors, elders, deacons, uh, Father, for your church, that they may lead with zeal. And should and when persecution arises, I pray that you would use the diversity of gifts that you give and, and bring them together in a wonderful unity in your church. Uh, so that your church may proclaim the salvation that is only to be found in your Son. Lord, we pray that you uh, you would bless us in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.